Good evening. Uh, tonight's reading is actually taken from Romans 2, verses 1 to 11. And if I can get this to work correctly. Yes. Um, this follows on from what Caris was uh, wonderfully sharing last week. I say, Caris, you did a wonderful, wonderful job of really giving us the message of Christ. So thank you so much, Caris. Great woman of God. Uh, so yeah, Romans 2, verses 1 to 11. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgments against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immorality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. This week, the DVLA listed some of the silliest excuses for not paying road tax, and here are just a few. My accountant told me I'm due a tax rebate, so I didn't think I needed to pay again this year. I was on my way to the post office to tax the car and called into the betting shop. There was a horse running at Doncaster called Don't Do It. So I bet on that with my car tax money instead. It lost. My mate said that if the cost of the tax is more than what the car is worth, you haven't got to pay it. It's not, so I didn't. I fell out of a tree pl uh, picking plums and broke both my arms. I'd forgotten the motorbike was in my garage. It was hidden behind a barbecue, so it's not my fault. I had man flu and couldn't go to the post office. <laughs> and I'd been out of the country for four months and I forgot where I parked the car. I'm sure we've all made excuses for various things in our lives in the hope that the excuse justifies our action or our behavior. But Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, 
you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. These are really strong words from Paul, but it's the truth. No excuse is also used in Romans 1.20, where it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, in under, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. God has revealed what he is like in and through creation. Therefore, mankind has no excuse in not recognizing God. Excuses will not be accepted on the day of judgment. Nothing excuses us from judgment, and that we cannot judge others, for we too are sinners. Paul was stressing that he was hugely aware of what was happening at that time, that people, even though they knew God, did not glorify him or worship him or give thanks to him. Man had become increasingly self-righteous and chose to live a life that angered God. The wrath of God was against mankind. And Paul lists many ways in which people had fallen into sin and how God was angry with them. But what about us here today? What does it mean to us? Well, sin is sin in the eyes of God. For instance, get this to work. Oh, hang on. Go back a bit. Don't look. <laughs> For instance, some of us might be partial to a bit of gossip, and we might actually think that isn't really severe, is it? But this is not of God's will. I remember hearing somebody say that a true friend is a friend who tells others the good things about you behind your back. Simple, but it makes the point, and that is in line with God's will. And tonight we look at what Paul writes regarding God's righteous judgment. Judgment. We don't like to be judged, but I suspect at times we are tempted to judge others and find it relatively easy to do. Why? Because often it distracts us from our own sin. We do need to speak out against sin, but we must do it in a spirit of humility. But have you ever caught yourself judging yourself? Maybe sometimes you start to do it, but then you think, hold on a minute, this doesn't look very pretty. That it tests you and you dislike what you see as a consequence. So instead, you might start beginning to focus on others and what they are doing. And then you begin to judge. I suppose in one sense, it might make us even feel better in doing that. But this is not in line with God and his will. We can choose to look down on people, but we should choose to look up and see the truth about God's standards and recognize how we fall short of them with our man-made standards, just as Paul writes in Romans 1. Tom Wright, a great theologian, wrote, Neither Greek nor Roman religion or philosophy had any doctrine of a final judgment. 
but it was central to Judaism. And Paul places it firmly against the ancient pagan world in this passage. There is a God who, as creator, is responsible for the world, and he will put it to rights. And when he does so, he will act with complete impartiality as accords with strict justice. There will be indeed a last judgment, and it will accord with the totality of the life of each person has led. We will be judged. There is no escape, and we have no excuse. Sin. Um, what exactly is sin? It can be defined as refusing to do God's will and failing to do that which God wants. It is a rebellion against God. Sin is ugly. It may be attractive, first of all, to, to begin with. There may be that instant gratification. But afterwards, it gets ugly. Sin has its consequences. Have you ever had moments when you realize how wretched you feel because you know that you've actually done something that isn't in line with God? It's horrible, and I do speak from experience. But mankind, sadly, has this ability to justify his or her own sin. And sometimes we may put ourselves at the lower end of the severity spectrum of the comparison of our sin against others. We then, you see, begin to justify our sin. We become self-righteous. But how can we be righteous when we have sinned and chose not to repent of our sins or sins? God is righteous, and he is the one who will judge us because of his divine righteousness. We may think that our sin is not that severe or that it wouldn't warrant much punishment as such, but one person likens it to a sheet of glass. They said that if a sheet of glass is broken, it's broken. So it is with sin. If it's a sin, it is a sin. 1 John says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Don't be deceived or we will be judged and we have no excuse. Charles Spurgeon wrote, As the salt flavours every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. Sin is a sin. So we need to ensure that we confess all our sins before God but we have no excuses. Often I attend a church service in a nearby male prison, and I find it incredibly moving when we share communion together. 
many, if not all, of the men who take communion have in the past committed some very serious offence. But through the grace and mercy of God, these men have come to know Christ whilst they're in prison. And they truly know what it means to be cleansed of their sin because of the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for them. This same blood is also shed for us. It's the same divine blood shed for all sins. And when handling the cup of wine to each prisoner, I look at them and I say their name and tell them that the wine is the blood of Christ that was shed for them. Each person listens intently. You can see in their eyes that they are immensely grateful to God. And it's a time of reflection for them what God has done for them. I can't help but feel the enormity of it. It overwhelms me time and time again. I'm so aware that I am just like my brothers that are living in that prison, that I am a sinner and that I need to repent. And only this morning I was speaking with one of the prisoners who had committed murder. He shared how he himself was a Christian beforehand, but he challenged himself, how could I have been a Christian if I'd murdered somebody? He said, I knew God loved me, but I didn't know God loved me that much until I came to prison. And we were talking about what that love looks like. And it was a very precious time, actually. And it reminded me of something that I read the other day from Henry Newen. He says, very few people know that they are loved by God without any conditions or limits. This unconditional and unlimited love is what the evangelist John calls God's first love. Let his love, he says, because God loved us first. The love that often leaves us doubtful, frustrated, angry, and resentful is the second love. That is to say, the affirmation, affection, sympathy, encouragement, and support that we receive from our parents, teachers, spouses, and friends. We all know how limited, broken, and very fragile that love is. Behind the many expressions of this second love, there is always the chance of rejection, withdrawal, punishment, blackmail, violence, and even hatred. Many contemporary movies and plays portray the ambiguities of human relationships, and there are no friendships, marriages, or communities in which the strains and stresses of the second love are not keenly felt. Often it seems that beneath the pleasantries of daily life, there are many gaping wounds that carry such names as abandonment, betrayal, rejection, rupture, and loss. These are all the shadows side of the second love and reveal the darkness that never completely leaves the human heart. The radical good news is that the second love is only a broken reflection of the first love and that the first love is offered to us by a God in whom there are no shadows. Jesus' heart is the incarnation of the shadow-free first love of God. From his heart flow streams of living water. 
he cries out in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Let anyone who believes in me come and drink. Come to me, all you labor and are overburdened, and I will give you rest. Shoulder my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And that's the first love that we were talking about this morning together, the prisoner and I. He knows what it is to be loved by a God that has first love for him. He struggles because he cannot forgive himself. And he's reminded of that daily. But he knows what God's love is, that first perfect love. King David, King David expresses his great sorrow in Psalm 51 and asks God for mercy, forgiveness, and cleansing after committing adultery with Bathsheba. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my in, in, can't say my words today, inequity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. David asks for more than forgiveness here. He wants a whole new attitude which will prevent him from making the same mistakes again. Repentance is not just about turning away from your sin, but also breaking with them. I heard the saying about a leopard never changes his spots. Does anybody know where that comes from? No? Actually, it's in the Bible. Jeremiah 13, 23 to be exact. It says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Jeremiah was saying the people had become so accustomed to doing evil that they had lost the ability to change. It becomes so ingrained. But God never rejects those who sincerely turn to him. And God was warning the people through the words of the prophet Jeremiah that they needed to repent before it was too late. We can struggle to change, especially if there's an area of our life that is deeply ingrained in us. But we need to have an attitude of wanting to change. And with God's love and grace, he can transform us. We have hope with God. And this is great news. God's grace is immense. R. Sproul wrote, God is not obligated to save anybody, to make any special act of grace, to draw anyone to himself. He could leave the whole world to perish and such would be a righteous judgment. But he does choose to forgive us. He gave his precious sinless son to die so that we could be adopted by him as our father. And what great love that is. 
We do need to be honest with ourselves. Do we not deceive ourselves with the, from the truth of what is really going on within us? What are we really involved with that separates us from God and leads us into sin? And what suppresses us from the truth which Paul talks about in Romans 1? God's judgment is based on truth. Therefore, would it not be wise for us to be truthful with ourselves, to confront what is in us that is not right before God? When I was preparing for this talk this evening, I really, really sensed that some people might be involved, particularly in pornography. Please know that God does not want you to be involved in this, for it is God's desire that you have a fulfilling life. And he doesn't want you to be involved in something that not only damages you, but those you have relationships, and of course, the people that are involved in this expanding and degrading industry. It is not from God, and it's not God's will. But please understand that what I'm saying tonight is not to have a go and to condemn, but to share what Paul was stating that we are not without sin and that we have no excuse to condemn others. But there is great news, that we can receive forgiveness in its fullness, that we can receive freedom, healing, and joy when turning to God in repentance and to enjoy the first love of God. We need to turn to God, go back to our Father and feel his embrace rather than feel his wrath. Because of Jesus, we are free if we turn away from all that is of the enemy. Remember, too, that Jesus is the truth. He came so that we would know the truth. If we are denying the truth in our own lives, and surely we are living in the ways of the enemy who loves lies and deceit, Go back to the very beginning of mankind with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. Eve knew what God had said to her about eating the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. But also remember that God told her what the consequences would be if they ate of that fruit. God was clear, no confusion. Clear instructions were spoken by God, but the enemy sowed the seed of out. The enemy creates confusion. Guy Chevreau says, Adam became afraid when he realized his nakedness and his vulnerability, and the enemy's influence profoundly distorted Adam's self-understanding so that there was a sense of fear and shame pervading. And that's what we feel when we have sinned, shame and fear, and we want to hide it. Sin is ugly. And the enemy is continuously attacking our minds. The devil's ploy was and still is to dishonor the character of God. And it is that which he hopes to perpetuate in all aspects of our lives today. Satan attempts to erode our faith in the faithfulness of God. And Gishevro also says, lying voices try to convince us that we're still strangers to God's love, 
grace and mercy, that we must still be bound in our sins, that we are still under condemnation, that we are still unworthy. The enemy does not want us to be in union with God. He wants separation and condemnation for all. 1 John 4 says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. And there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. The cross is where the greatest act of love was ever shown. In seeking forgiveness, we can experience this love and have confidence on the day of judgment that God will judge righteously. Jesus made the way for us to be in union with our Heavenly Father. Please don't sit here feeling wretched about sins that you and I have committed, but rejoice in the truth that we are forgiven if we repent that we are set free from the dreadful chains that are cast around us by the enemy. We can be free to all that enslaves us, and the ties to the past sins can also be severed with the outrageous outpouring of God's grace and mercy upon us. We will still have to face the consequences of sin, but to know the love and peace of Jesus Christ is to dispel fear, for the perfect love to Christ that is within us drives out fear. Jesus' final words written in John 19.30 says, It is finished. Declared that the ransom had been paid. The word finished here means paid in full. Now we can approach God because of what Jesus did for us. We will not pay the penalty for our sins, for Christ has already paid it in full. He also ended the complicated system of sacrifices that people had to make for the atonement of their sins. Christ made it incredibly easy for us. He even asked the Father to forgive us. We are sanctified and justified in the name of Jesus. Karl Barth, the theologian, said, not only is Jesus the judge, not only is Jesus the criterion of judgment, but he is also the judge who takes on himself his pronouncement of judgment against sin. Basically, Jesus is the judge. He will judge us on the basis of our response to him, and that he is the judge who has taken the penalty of his just judgment on himself. We don't hear of judges paying the fine themselves for the criminals that they've just sentenced. But Jesus did it. Simon Ponsonby says, Paul's gospel, the only gospel, our gospel, points to judgment day when Jesus sits as judge, when he judges us for our response to him, and whether we have said yes to him, trusting that he was judged in our place. There is a danger that we become self-righteous, as I said earlier. We can at times think we are qualified 
to judge other people. But Jesus is the only judge. And we need to ensure we look at ourselves and be honest about what we see rather than condemning others. William Secker said, many have passed the rocks of gross sins, but have suffered shipwreck upon the sands of self-righteousness. Each of us is to be accountable to God and that we are to look at ourselves and question what we do. In Matthew 7, it clearly states this, where it says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Many people, you see, they base their moral judgments on other people, on their opinions, personal dislikes, or cultural bias. But we are to seek guidance from God on how we are to live and to love others. And we are work in progress. We come with baggage. We've been told untruths in our lives. But a person open to God is sort of like a, a person allowing the potter to remove the grit and the stones from the clay so that the potter can create them into what they were intended to be in the first place. The question is, are we aware of the stones the grit that is in us, that is preventing the great creator from forming us into something that he had from the moment he thought of us. And in his kindness, God holds back his judgment. For it says, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? He gives people time to repent. Some people could confuse this as mistaking God's patience for approval in the way in which they are living. We need to ask God to highlight to us the sins that we are currently involved with or have been involved with in the past. In doing so, we can ask for forgiveness and for healing. In Corinthians, it said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our sin was poured into Christ at his crucifixion. His righteousness is poured into us when we believe and recognize Jesus as our Savior. In the world, Bartering works when two people exchange goods of equal value. But God offers to trade his righteousness for our sins. Something of immeasurable worth for something completely worthless. How grateful we should be for this kindness and love. This is our God. God is patient. He is rich in love and slow to anger, as written in Psalm 103. What if God was quick to show anger? We'd be doomed. He's so graceful to us. He gives us time, time to repent. 
God's goodness is beyond measure. There is a danger that scripture will be read in a way that excuses people from the wrath of God regarding sin. As I've mentioned just before in Psalm 103, that the Lord is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in love, are so true. But Paul is saying in Romans 2 that it's God's kindness that leads us towards repentance. It is intended to give us space in which to repent, not give us an excuse for sinning. He also says, do not show contempt for the riches of his kindness. There is the temptation to excuse oneself from sin by thinking God will let you off the hook, for he is gracious and kind. He's also a God that sees all that we do. We cannot hide what we do from him. We will be judged. He gives us space and time to repent so that on the day of judgment we can stand before him holy. We must honour God's kindness. We must not manipulate scripture to suit ourselves. And we must not show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience. To presume God's kindness as if its purpose were to encourage license to do what we want and then not to repent of our sins as a sign of stubbornness and an unrepentant heart. We will therefore not be storing precious treasure but storing up the wrath of God which will be revealed on the day of judgment. But there is good news. God gives us the opportunity to repent and we can be free, for we are justified and sanctified through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, words cannot express our thanks for sending Jesus Christ to die for us. You know everything about us. You've seen the good and the not so good. You may have seen some of us being involved in gossiping, telling lies, taking part in all sorts of things that displease you, Lord. we come to you asking for forgiveness for the things that we have done and we need healing Lord for sin is ugly and it leaves a wound and we ask Holy Spirit that you come upon us now that you convict us of things that might not be right before you Lord and we ask for healing we want to be a sweet fragrance to you, Lord. We give our lives to you, Lord. We just ask, Lord, that you change us, that you 
sift out the stones, those bits of grit that are in us, that prevent us from being who you want us to be, who you planned us to be, for your ways are so good, Lord. You're so generous. And we think of that first love, that unconditional love. It might be difficult for us to really embrace what that really means. Maybe we've always been surrounded by conditional love in some shape or form. But the Holy Spirit revealed that first love to us, afresh and new. Help us to fall in love with you again, or maybe even for the first time. Your love does not bring harm. It is good. Amen. If you sense the need to confess to God your sins now, can I encourage you to come forward and to be honest, if we were really truthful, every single one of us would be up the front here. But if you're concerned that you will be judged, please remember, no one can judge you. No one. There's only one person. And none of us have the right to judge one another. As you come forward, the worship group will play a song. And whilst doing so, Phil and I and other brothers and sisters in Christ would love to pray for you and with you. You do not have to share anything that you do not want to share. But if you want to get rid of whatever is in you, that stone or these bits of grit, whatever it might be, please do come forward. For Jesus died for you. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be healed of all the suffering that sin brings. He loves you that much.